You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to Let's Talk Apple, show number 112. I'm your host, Bart Bouchot, and this is the show for December 2022. Uh, I am joined today by a panel that is small in number, but very high in quality and giving us a very good geographic spread. Adam uh, Christensen from the MacCast is back with us. Hi, Adam. Hey, Bart. How are you doing? I am doing good, and I, I hope you had uh, a nice uh, a nice break, a uh, little bit of family time, I'm hoping. Yeah, plenty of family time. It was kind of nice. I I actually uh, took the last episode of my podcast year off deliberately, which I never do. So I didn't I didn't I didn't do one last show at the end of the year so I could spend a little extra time with the family. It was nice. Fantastic. Excellent. And you weren't caught up in the um, cyclone chaos mess of all the airports going kaput. Yeah, no, I don't do any traveling. We just stay at nice. home, play some board, play some board games, hang out. It was, it's really nice. Excellent, excellent. Well, we have a month's worth of Apple news to get to. We have uh, four main stories, but before we get to those, we have some other bits and bobs to catch up on. So, first off, in terms of updates and follow ups so these are things we talked about recently, or sort of ongoing stories that don't really have a beginning or an end. Um, the first category of is uh, we ended the last show by saying, and South Korea is getting Apple Pay. Uh, no, not yet. Uh, the day after we recorded the show, uh, the regulators were like, yeah, we still have some questions. Uh, so they put it on pause. And as we record, it is not off pause yet. And it has now been about a month. So not entirely sure what has the South Koreans cranky about Apple Pay, but uh, there ain't no South Koreans using it yet. So uh, stay tuned, I guess. Then very much the other category of story that will never end. Uh, China's COVID outbreak continues. Um, when the last we left our tail, uh, things were really starting to heat up. I think we actually made it a main story last month because it really had entered a new phase and the country as a whole was heading towards political unrest. And I guess without our Apple hat on, I guess we should mention that the country as a whole did a spectacular and unexpected U-turn and just gave up on zero COVID. Just just like yep. that. Um, so looking at it from the Apple news point of view, you get a sort of a feel of what's going on. And I'm just going to read through the headlines and then we, we can uh, talk a bit if, if there's much to say. Um, so Foxconn could resume full iPhone production by early January. So about now-ish. China abandons key parts of zero COVID strategy after protests. iPhone maker Foxconn urges Chinese government to ease zero COVID restrictions. Foxconn lifts COVID restrictions. Foxconn forcing sick workers to stay on iPhone production lines. Foxconn hopes to retain workers by offering cash bonuses. iPhone 14 Pro lead times have returned to after launch levels. Uh, And then there is definitely a pretty well thought out opinion piece uh, from Ars Technica that caught my eye. Apple's business under growing threat from China's COVID wave because the country is now suffering. Um, Something I've said all along, or I've reminded listeners of all along, is that China, for purely ego reasons, does not partake of the mRNA vaccines because they are not Chinese. They are using their own inferior old-fashioned vaccines. And their vaccination rate is terrible, particularly among their most vulnerable people. 
and they don't really have much, you know, herd immunity built up through other means. So shock and or horror when we went from zero COVID to have at it, the virus is having at it. Yep. I don't know how much there is to say, like you said, like it is what it is. It's that it's how they run their, it's how they do things. And uh, it is how they do things. The other thing that sort of, I think people sometimes forget that China isn't a democracy in an official kind of a sense, but it sort of kind of is because if the people get cranky enough, the government do what they want. So it's a kind of a very strange, indirect, direct democracy. And you could sort of see everything lining up when we recorded the, the November show that things were really looking like there were going to be a political issue, you know, protests and stuff. And then the government is like, yeah, no, undo that. Nothing to do with those protests. Don't look over there. We are still going to arrest everyone, but uh, we'll do what they wanted anyway. It's, it's a very, China yeah, is a strange I to, place. I have to wonder too how much economic pressure there is, right? Because true, companies are starting to diversify and move manufacturing out of China and, and things like that for obvious reasons, right? You still need to get business done. So yeah. you can't really fault them for that, but you also have to wonder. So yes, people are protesting, but at the same time, I'm sure the government's seeing economic long-term ramifications too. So none of it's good. Like none of this is good stuff. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but just like I always follow the money these days, like follow the money yeah. and that's where it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's, my, that's my motto when evaluating companies that always follow the money because people are like, well, I mean, you know, Facebook doesn't necessarily have to be evil. Yeah, but their business model incentivizes them to. So sooner or later, they will be follow the money. Um, which is exactly. why I get so cranky with Apple deciding that they want to get into the ad business. It's like, anyway, that's a very, very, very different topic that we did to death in the November show. Okay, well, I, I imagine... Looking at my crystal ball, we might just mention this again as 2023 continues. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going into full full season in other parts of the world. So it's going to be a story. It's something that lives with us now. And yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's reality. Yeah. The other very long running story that has been a year and a bit now, um, Apple continue to have employee relations issues, shall we say. Um, The U.S. uh, labor prosecutors find Apple violated federal law by coercing and interrogating Atlanta workers. So there was a formal complaint filed that has now been upheld. Um, Apple employees in uh, St. Louis Galleria store have released a press statement contradicting the union statement that the vote was pulled due to intimidation. The union is not backing down. So in the November show, we mentioned that this ballot was pulled and the union said it was because of intimidation from Apple. Now we have Apple employees saying it wasn't intimidation from Apple, but the union saying it was. So are those employees who are saying they weren't intimidated being intimidated into saying they weren't being intimidated? Or is the union just in the wrong? Or I don't know. Um, he said, she I, said. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, I do feel like that's a problem with a he said, she said. You, you probably will never know. Yeah. Hello. What, Ah, hang Hello. on, we are being joined by other panelists. Hello. Uh, um, <laughs> we, us... We've only just realised you were in Skype. We were over in, uh, in your, in, uh, ah, Discord. Dear, dear. Okie dokie. <laughs> well, folks, let us uh, reintroduce our guests then. We're, we're in the uh, long-running stories bit. So joining us from the United Kingdom, we have Nick Riley, and not just from the United Kingdom, also from the, um, ah, I just 
Oh, my mind's gone a blank now. Essential Apple Podcast. Jesus. That's terrible. Yes, <laughs> that's that's right. Well, we haven't been very active this year, Bart, for a variety of reasons, which I won't go into, but uh, yeah. Uh, and that other voice would be the other main voice from the Essential Apple Podcast, which would be Simon Parnell. Hi, Simon. Hello. Well, we have Hello. now... Hello. Yeah, don't worry. The camera's mainly so that we don't step on each other because the listeners have no idea that we ever do video. I know. Okay. It's all right. All right. It's... Well, myself and Adam had gotten through uh, the China COVID story and a few other things. So we're just, I'm just reading through the headlines on the Apple employee relations struggles continue. And then when I've read through the headlines, we can pause and have a bit of a discussion. So I had left off. Ah, yes. So the, new, the newly unionized workers in Tucson, in Tucson, Maryland, they are starting their collective bargaining in April. Or sorry, with Apple in early 2023. Uh, meanwhile, in London, uh, we had a store unionised basically within a week from one doing it to it's done. Um, then in Ohio, Apple are being accused of creating an illegal pseudo-union in the Ohio store. It's sort of a workers' organisation run by Apple managers. And they're trying to say that that's an alternative to union. And as I understand American labour law, that's literally illegal. So that's now been filed as a complaint. We shall see how that works out. In Australia, they threatened and then did go on strike over Christmas. Um, And we have another one of these. He said, she said, a former patent attorney is suing Apple over harassment and discrimination. If the complaint is true, it looks really bad, but we have no way of knowing. Uh, At the last shareholders meeting, Apple shareholders passed a motion requiring Apple to do an internal report on whether or not it stifles free speech. The report came back and said everything's fine. There are NDAs, but we don't enforce those, so it's grand, followed by Apple saying, we're going to remove those clauses uh, that we don't enforce. So I think that actually means the report found a problem, Apple fixed the problem, and then said, go back in another report. But either way, the problem appears to now be gone. So that is where we stand at the end of 2022, going into 2023. Does anyone have any thoughts on this ongoing mess? Well, the only thing, I'd, yeah, it, I mean, for those of us in, you know, the EU, this whole unionisation thing is all a bit weird, isn't it, Bart? Because the way unions work in, you know, the UK and the EU is you can join a union if you like or not. They don't have union shops or not. I mean, the whole kind of closed shop union housing got outlawed about 40 years ago so now if you want to be in a union you can join and if you don't you don't have to um so it's all a bit weird to us Mm. well i i think to me what makes it a bit weird is that apple was the kind of company people wanted to work for and now there are enough people working for apple who feel cranky enough about how they're being treated by apple that they feel they need the power of collective bargaining that's a change, not for the better. Yes, yeah, well, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think with Apple, it's—I mean, it's been a long time they've been in retail, but at the end of the day, it's retail. And I know a lot of people who've worked in retail. And everybody says the, the phrase "it's retail," and it's—they're not fun jobs, and they're a lot of work. And you know, I think 
Alec, Apple might try to want to you know maintain this culture in that kind of environment, but I think what they're learning is it's rather it's rather difficult because you're dealing directly with you've got people dealing directly with customers. You've got you know volumes, especially around holiday times and things like that. It's just there's just certain factors I think in retail that you know it's hard to manage, and I think we're now seeing Apple. And I'm going to guess size is also some of it. I mean, the rapid growth of their retail organization. Um, you know, I think these are all things that companies struggle with. And it's not surprising that you have some employees that are probably not happy. happy. The irony is you talk to or you look at some of Apple's policies. And as far as retail goes, they have some of the best ones out there. I mean, part-time workers getting full benefits and a bunch of other things that you wouldn't get with other organizations. So it's surprising that people are still upset and not surprising at the same time to me, because again, it's retail and you're, you're on the front line and you're dealing with a lot, a lot of stuff. So it's, it's a hard balance, I think is what we're learning or that's yeah, I, kind of my take on it. I, I think that's true, Adam. Um, I mean, even in this country where, you know, workers rights are, probably protected a little bit more than in the US. Um, retail is considered, unless you are a person who really loves working in retail, it's considered a, a job that most people don't want to do unless they really enjoy it. And some people do enjoy it. You know, obviously, other people tolerate it because it makes them a living and that's what they do. But Nobody, I don't think anybody who's got two brain cells to rub together would think that working in retail is a, you know, a laugh a minute. It can be very unpleasant because you can get the, you know, the crankiest, nastiest, drunken oaf come in and start creating and you have to handle it. Um, yeah, let's face it, having just because you've got unions doesn't necessarily make you happy. I mean, look at the UK at the moment. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yes. there is no silver bullet to uh, labor relations, I don't think. Um, uh, no, I don't think so. That's true. Now, I don't do a lot of rumors on this show, but the Apple Car project is in that strange gray area where, I mean, they have literally applied for permits and stuff in California. So we know they're up to it, but they haven't told us anything officially. Um, and they're obviously not making press releases about what's going on inside Project Titan. So this is kind of a rumor, but kind of not a rumor. So I've been humming and hawing about whether or not I cover it because I don't like doing rumors. But at the same time, I think it's pretty well sourced. I th I think we can say that there has been yet another change of direction in the Apple Car project. And they have apparently decided to abandon the notion of a fully autonomous car without even having a steering wheel or pedals and scale back to a more traditional approach, which they hope to have on the market by 2026 for less than $100,000 or so people who tell people tell people. So we shall see. It's certainly that not doesn't sound raised. exactly very exceptional, does it? I mean, <laughs> it does not. There's an awful lot of cars out there for under 100000 <laughs> they've got a lot to do they yes do. i think so and, they need uh, something unique and i don't know what it is no. no i don't know they're gonna need something very special and obviously i'm pretty sure their original target was a fully self-driving car whether you know with or without steering wheels and pedals and i mean we've commented on that in the past haven't we nick saying you know if you break down and you've got no steering wheel and no pedals, how do you move the damn car? But 
Yeah, I think, I think they've they've looked across at Tesla, and um, you know Tesla's been saying uh, full drive, full self driving next year for the last ten years, however long it's been. Ten years, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and I think you know they're realising that actually this is quite hard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, even um, though they've got really clever, really clever people and people's <laughs> money. If they could, if they could produce a an interesting vehicle with highly assisted driving if not full self-driving and get it in at a price that probably competes with people like bmw and mercedes i think they might have a chance but i think it's exactly the opposite um, and i don't think apple are ever going to do this but what they need to do is to produce a cheap uh, uh, efficient small car that lots of people can afford because the problem with electric cars at the moment is they're expensive. Well, so unless yeah, you're in a mean, if you're in a certain unless you're in a certain bracket of of um, uh, of wealth, you can't even consider an electric car because they're so expensive. Um, or, so if, or, if anyone can come along and say, okay, we're now going to produce something that lots more people can afford. Um, well, there is the be, third way. There is the third way that you you get the use of an Apple-owned car. You never actually get to buy the Apple car. I think, Adam, you've been a fan of the um, transport-as-a-service model, right? Yeah, I mean, I just in terms of, to me, that seems the most disruptive, as yeah. it could be. The problem there would be the rollout would be very, very slow because you'd have to probably start in major city centers where you could actually run something like that and run it well. So, but maybe that's an advantage at this point if they're struggling so much to get, you know, pure autonomy. But the idea here would be, it would be a second vehicle for most people. Um, that's a big thing in the U S I don't, you know, internationally, I think it might be a little less common where people have multiple vehicles, but you wouldn't rely on it as your main vehicle, but you might not have to get a second vehicle in that scenario. And you could supplement with a service where you're not paying insurance that's paid as part of your service. You're not paying gas. You're not paying maintenance. You're not, you know, all that is offset. So for close to, or maybe less than a car payment, you would have access to a vehicle on demand and through your iPhone. And it's an interesting concept. I'd, it doesn't sound like Apple's going that way, but that would be disruptive and would be a way to get around the pricing thing. So even if the vehicle is $100,000, $150,000, you know, it, that cost is shared. That's true. Actually, if the rumors are giving a price point on the vehicle, then that's not a service. Then that's that's a vehicle that's been talked about in the rumors. Oh, yeah, for sure. Rumors are rumors. That could just be, you know, people calculating bills of materials and projecting a price. That doesn't mean that that's what Apple are planning. I mean, my <sighs> dream, if you like, for an Apple card would actually to be something like a travel pod, a very small vehicle, two-seater probably, something like a smart car, fully electric, highly assisted, available to be called like an Uber, um, and originally rolled out, obviously, in urban areas where that would be ideal. Don't hail an Uber. Don't hail a taxi. Just call an Apple car because you've got a subscription. And this little buggy uh, rolls up and uh, you get in it. It's, I, there is a generation of people who don't 
buy cars and there are places where you literally don't have a place to park a car if you were to own one. So the, there are places right. where the service model would make sense. And then there are places where it would be very weird. I can't imagine if you're living in the Rocky Mountains somewhere, there's going to be a car as a service for a very, very <laughs> long time. No, no, no. No, no, Sort no. of, sort of, kind of, speaking of cars-ish. Okay, this is a bad segue. Uh, but anyway, um, we talked last time about emergency SOS rolling out in the United States. We talked about how we knew which satellite company was involved and how Apple had paid for a whole bunch of their infrastructure. And we had promised that it would be rolling out to more countries soon. That has happened. As of uh, December, you can now use the service in France, Germany, the United Kingdom and Ireland. So should I find myself out of uh, cell phone range, I can apparently still call for help, which sounds good. And not surprisingly, we have reports of this literally saving people's lives. Um, There was an incident in California where a car missed a turn on a mountain road and ended up 300 foot down a canyon. Um, The crash detection, which we'll talk about in a moment, also fired. And uh, the, uh, the lady in the car, she didn't even know her phone had satellite functionality. The phone told her it did, walked her through the process, and she successfully got helicopter rescued out of there. So that kind of proves that the UI to help guide you through that acquiring a lock and all that kind of stuff, that UI, that's a pretty good test of that whole concept. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but then on a related story, we do have crash detection continuing to have some teething issues, but also we're still getting new stories of it working. So, you know, it's kind of you know, the Canadian um, Canadian helicopter rescue service are cranky that they're getting false alarms where they're ending up sending out a helicopter just in case. And that's kind of an expensive just in case, but you kind of can't not send out the helicopter. Uh, still a lot of false alarms happening around the ski resorts in the United States. Um, some, I guess there's something about the noise you get on snow that sounds like you're in an accident. And of course, there's high G-forces. But then we do have other reports, like one recently caught my eye where a, a man was able to get to the the scene of his wife's accident before the ambulance did. So, it, you know, because the phone realized something had happened and did it all automatically. So... It is swings and roundabouts, but Apple still have some homework to do here. And if they don't do it soon, I'm afraid that things like the the Canadians are suggesting Apple make it an opt-in feature, which kind of defeats the purpose, in my opinion. I don't know if anyone thinks there's value in an opt-in crash detection. I mean, obviously, I I don't know how the emergency services treat it in the US. Adam might have a better idea, but certainly in the UK... No, if you call an ambulance, as long as they don't think you're wasting their time, if they come out and feel you had a good reason to call the ambulance, even if it's a false alarm, the paramedics will always tell you, we'd rather come out and tell you it's not a life-threatening situation than you leave it and then turn up to a dead body. So, you know. That is true, actually. At the same time... At, at the same time, it's a little bit—it's the crying wolf thing, isn't it? I mean, if it happens too often, yes, then, uh, then, get, then get the emergency service might, it. yeah, might decide just not to take any notice of it. In which case, that will defeat the object. Obviously. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping it's something they can just tweak the algorithm, and I think they should be able to. I mean, you see an event at a ski resort or in certain geographic locations, and you could probably 
do some smarter detection or smarter tweaks or other things. But yeah, I mean, here, I th- again, like, same thing. I think they'd rather send out emergency services and save somebody rather than, you know, I, I, I wonder how many, how pre- uh, prevalent the false alarms actually are. I mean, we hear about them in the news, but is it really a huge problem? I don't, I think likely not. Yeah, I I suspect, you know, the news cycle likes things like false alarms. It makes a good story, doesn't it? It it gets a lot of eyeballs and clicks as opposed to, no. Well, I think if trade organisations, if trade organisations, not trade organisations, that's not quite the right word. If the people who run these kind of things start to make more formal representations, then you know it's a real problem. But if it's just anecdotes, I guess it's still fixable. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that was a, believe it or not, that was a quick rundown of some updates and follow-ups to long-running stories. Uh, But there's a a lot of stories these days that don't fit nicely into my monthly schedule. How dare the news not fit into monthly schedules? Um, (laughs) I also like to keep an eye on what's happening in the world of regulation because Apple are definitely in the crosshairs on this one. Uh, But this month, it was actually relatively quiet. The, The French were busy, but on the whole, quite quiet. So we had two issues in France. Uh, the a, a commercial court in Paris has fined Apple over abusive App Store policies, uh, but the ruling doesn't require Apple to do anything because the Digital Markets Act, which comes into effect later in 2023, will take care of the problem for Apple slash the French court. So they're like, yeah, you're in the wrong, but we know you're going to fix it soon anyway because the Europeans are making you, so uh, just give us some money, please. And in a... Somewhat similar story. Apple have been fined 6.4 million uh, for privacy violations, according to uh, a French advisor who's been asked to look over the case. And the issue is to do with iOS 14's implementation of app tracking transparency. But Apple fixed it with iOS 15. So it's a case of you don't have a problem anymore, but please give us 6.4 million for having got it wrong the first time. So on the whole, not catastrophic. And then New York State passed a right to repair bill, which as far as I can tell, it actually strikes a reasonable balance. There's things like it's legal for the company to bundle parts so that you replace an assembly instead of requiring the company to give individual parts for everything. And the company retains the right to do things like um, pair uh, serial numbers for the purpose of security and in particular for Apple users. Without that kind of pairing, the secure enclave is meaningless and our iOS security falls into a heap. So I look at this law and I think that seems reasonable. Uh, But the pro repair people are very, very, very cranky because the law does not just say Apple have to give me every little part I want for no money. Um, So I I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit biased here, but my opinion is as these things go, it seems like a sane law. It's certainly not going to cause Apple any major nightmares. No, And I, I, I think one of the things that, we in the tech world often focus a bit too much on is the the right to repair people aren't only on a, about computers you know laptops and smartphones and and tablets there are other abuses i mean john deere have been you know famously creating tractors where the farmers can't actually repair them in the field if something goes wrong they have to contact john deere to send out an engineer and that is you know that is tech. You know that is a blatant abuse. If you want my honest opinion, well, the, there is also the small matter of them using Linux and not contributing back to open source and being caught basically in breach of the GPL. But you know, 
Okay, um, I am going to jump us on to legal latest, and I actually have managed to use the party popper emoji in one of my stories. Um, we have an end to a long-running story. Apple v. Ericsson is over. They have settled their global patent dispute, which was spread over a lot of countries at this stage. So they basically have made peace, and some money is changing hands, and all is well. So, um, good. Uh, yep. The... Apple v. Alive Core. These are the people who say that the Apple Watch's ECG is in violation of their patent. That case just went weird. So early in December, there was what seemed to be a very clear victory for Apple. The three patents at the centre of the whole thing were invalidated by the US Patent and Trademark Office. Therefore, the problem should have just evaporated. But it didn't. The ITC found Apple guilty of violating the patents that they've just invalidated because there's still an appeal pending on the invalidation, so technically those patents still exist. So there's now an import ban. Well, no, sorry, it's not an import ban. There's now a potential import ban, which has to be reviewed by the president's office, which has a levy on every imported iPhone or Apple Watch, but the levy is suspended pending approval and appeals. So basically, as best as I can understand, nothing's happening. So. Yes, Apple won. Yes, AliveCore won. No, nothing has actually changed. The Apple Watch has continued to flow in. Apple don't have to do anything right now. Have I messed that up, Adam? I'm looking at you in particular as an American representative. (laughs) No, this is exactly why I don't cover cover legal stories on my podcast, because it's just so insane. Like, (laughs) I think you probably have it 100% (laughs) correct, but it's dumb. It is. But anyway, the good news is, you know, from the point of view of Apple users, the Apple Watch flow is not stopping, which I guess is the main thing we want. Um, moving on to Apple services and original content highlights. Um, we Last time we Apple had just given out awards for the best apps and stuff. If you're interested in picking up some tips, Apple went on a few days after we recorded last to release their top podcasts of 2022. So if you'd like some extra listening. And they've also released their uh, best Apple Arcade games of 2022. If you fancy finding some more ways to you know, waste some time. Um, So you can find those two linked in the show notes. Um, Lots of Tesla owners were very happy over the holidays. Apple Music has rolled out to Tesla cars. And I am a Tesla owner and I was very much waiting for this to happen. And I just want to comment on how well thought out the pairing is. So I had this horrible feeling of having to log into my Apple ID on my car And that would be a whole lot of faffing about with multi-factor authentication and the whole thing would be absolutely hellish. And I thought, how are Apple doing these kind of automotive integrations? The answer is with the QR code. You sit into the car, you scan the car screen, and then you do everything on your phone where you can use Face ID to do the authentication. And it just hands over to the car. It was the most painless and seamless thing, which was a real relief to me. Well, that's excellent, isn't it? Very good. Well Which bodes, I think that bodes well for the concept of this bigger Apple car thing that Apple previewed at WWDC this year. They seem to have their yes. ducks in a row on this kind of stuff. So, yeah, mm, uh, to be honest, I was more curious about how it would work than, you know, anything else. So I, w- I was I was happy to be able to do first-hand testing and to find it worked so well. But anyway. Charlie could. Moving on to Apple TV Plus, last month I commented that um, 
Actually, I got in trouble for something I need to correct myself on and now I don't remember what it was. I think I there was a show that I said was British, but it was actually very strongly Irish. And I got some, got some Twitter comments from Irish people saying, how dare you give credit to the British for that Irish show? Not American is kind of what I was going with. Um, but the, <laughs> I think the point I was making is that Apple was getting recognition outside of the US for shows they were making that are not US focused or not US centric. And that has continued with um, another nomination for the UK Writers Guild, who have nominated uh, Slow Horses uh, for an award, which hasn't yet been announced. But, you know, it's still a first ever nomination for Apple uh, for their own content from the UK TV Writers Guild. Yeah, very good. I've um, just finished watching uh, Slow Horses, so the second series, and it's very good. Yeah. If anybody listening has not watched Slow Horses, yes, it's a British spy thriller, but it is excellent. And it has is a sort of um, it's a very good spy thriller, but it's also darkly humorous with a undercurrent of sort of um, self-deprecation. So it's um, it's a good laugh. And very British, really. I was <laughs> just gonna, I was going to yeah. say that is the kind of thing that British television is great for that. You know, dark with a with a with with a seasoning of humor, just to make the dark tolerable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have not watched it yet, so I'm guilty. Well, it's on my I, list, but I have so many watch things to catch if, up if, on. If I was to give you one line out of it, which would give you a flavor, he's like, the bloke says, "I didn't mean to kill him," and the, the other guy says to him, "Of course you didn't mean to kill him, you idiot. If you tried to kill him, it would be you lying dead on the floor." that kind of sums up the 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 story really i like it um slightly uk adjacent um so major league soccer is coming to americans this is american major league soccer um on february 1st we knew that we knew apple had bought the rights but we now have the details on february 1st the season starts and if you would like to watch the american soccer league you can if you are already an if, sorry, if you are not already an Apple TV Plus customer, you can buy just the soccer, which I guess is kind of clever, uh, for $14.99 per month or $99 for the whole season. If you are an Apple TV Plus customer, you do not just get the soccer for free. You have to pay $12.99 per month or $79 for the whole season. So on the one hand, fantastic that people don't have to get Apple TV Plus to get the soccer. On the other hand, maybe there's some Apple TV Plus people quite cranky they're not just getting the soccer. How's that going over, Adam? I think it's actually the best part of the deal, I think, that Apple did with MLS. And this is one of the sticking points, I think, that came up with uh, the NFL and not getting that deal is no blackouts. So Mm. here, because they have contracts normally with the local cable subscribers or the networks, they will block out local games. So if there's a game playing locally to me i can't stream it anywhere they'll block it because they want me to watch it on my local station so they can get the ads the revenue and so they force those sorts of things and with the mls deal apple worked past that so every game is available everywhere to everyone it's also available you know fully internationally that was another sticking point with the with the nfl league was they didn't want to give up any international rights 
not that I think that's a big deal for the NFL, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, well, yeah. so I think it's a great, I, but I think it's a great deal. I mean, it, it would have been nice if they could have included it. That would have been awesome. It would have been a great bonus, but you know, I think $7,900 for an entire sports season. If you're into that sport, I think that's probably not out of the realm of a decent price. It would have been quite the loss leader as well to, to, cause they paid a lot of money for that, for those rights. Uh, yeah. It's fair. You know, in, in in the UK and Europe, if you even if you pay for Sky Sports, which is a premium channel, you add to your package, which is not cheap. Mm. Um, when they show, you know, the Premier League games, these are usually pay to watch on top, and often, you know, they can often be fifteen pounds, twenty euros a game. So Whoa. actually. Yeah, Sky, they really rake it in over the, you know, premier match games. If you follow that, I don't. I don't give a flying monkeys, but... I understand you know, why people can, want to go to sports bars if it's 20 quid just to watch it at home. It can be 15, 20 quid to watch, you know, a top premier game at home. So, Wow. Okay, that's a great deal you Americans are getting. It's <laughs> a fantastic deal. Um, I don't know if this is a first, but I am not aware of any other spin-offs from Apple TV Plus Originals, but Mythic Quest, which is extremely popular, has developed a spin-off that will be coming out uh, later called Mere Mortals. Um, so I don't know if any of you guys are Mythic Quest viewers. I oh, yes. say I'm not. I, I love Mythic Quest. It's, for anybody who's not familiar with it, it's in the same vein as Ted lasso in that it's set in a an online streaming game company something like world of warcraft and it's called mythic quest but that's just the peg they hang it on in the same way as ted lasso is not really about football at all right. Right. or soccer right it's a, it's a character driven show and it's all about the various egos and characters so mythic quest is in the same vein as that but it's set in a you know, a Silicon Valley, massive, successfully, um, you know, MMO-based company. But it's all about the characters and their interactions, and that's what makes it funny. Yeah. What's great about this, this spinoff is uh, there's episodes, there's been, I think, one in each season where it's like a backstory. It, it's tangentially related to the main story but it's not a main story so they go into the background of a character or the background of a something and those have been by far the most entertaining i think and most interesting of the episodes so this new spin-off is going to be nothing but those so yeah they're going to be I'm, I'm, characters from the I'm, film but outside stories basically yeah i'm really looking forward to that because I'm, I'm with adam in the mythic quest things although the individual shows are amusing sometimes the backstories are the best episodes so cool um and then i, I the last thing to note is that apple are continuing to do their updated maps um you guys have had them in the states for ages the uk and ireland got them quite early too and they are really very pretty 
Um, well, my, my parents and family in Belgium can now join in the fun. And I love the fact that the headline over on Apple's, Apple Insider was Apple Maps Redesign Expands to Belgium and Four Other Countries. And my, my national pride was peaked a bit. So apparently Belgium <laughs> is more important than Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, the Netherlands and Switzerland. And I, I thought the Netherlands and Switzerland would have got at least as big a bidding, uh, you know, um, billing as Belgium. But anyway, so... The Belgians, the Liechtensteinians, the Luxembourgians, the Dutch and the Swiss get to play along in the very pretty new maps. Right, um, we are going to dive into our main stories shortly. We have four of them. Uh, The first is what I think to be the biggest trend of 2022, which is Apple's continuing diversifying of the supply chain. I have mentioned it as a long running story repeatedly, but never given a top billing. And I think for the last show covering 2022 news, that needs to be remedied. Uh, Second main story is that we have three significant security enhancements being announced uh, for iCloud-like services. Uh, iMessage is in there too. Uh, Third main story is we got some new OS features because it's the middle of the year and Apple now drops some significant features mid-year normally. Um, And then the last uh, main story is... Why have my show notes gone all completely wonky? Sugar. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, there we go. Uh, sweeping changes in the App Store pri- the App Store pricing, um, which may be a defensive move against some of the regulatory stuff. So there are four main stories that we will be working our way through. So let us start with main story number one, which is one of these sort of pseudo stories. So for the whole of 2022, we've heard stuff coming out of reports and or rumors because of course apple very rarely make actual press releases about this stuff but you can't really keep it a secret when you hire a hundred thousand people to build something so it's it's news that isn't a rumor but it isn't official either but it's very very obvious that apple are trying to become less reliant on china and i think they may have been motivated to do that before covid but post covid i think they're very 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 motivated to do that so I'm just going to read through the December headlines and then we can have a discussion around it. So the first thing we have is that Apple apparently speed up plans to move iPhone assembly out of China. Uh, We then have uh, also 5% of iPhone production by the spring of 2023 will be in India and MacBooks are on their way to Vietnam from mid-2023. Then we have TSMC tripling the investment in its Arizona chip factory, followed by Apple actually confirming that they will be buying chips out of that Arizona factory. So that's one of the few times this story has actually been confirmed. Tim Cook actually said, yup, those chips are for us. Uh, And Apple is also looking to diversify within China. So Luxshare is not as big as your Foxconn's um, or your Wistron's, but nonetheless significant company. And they are apparently getting a bigger chunk of the iPhone 15 Pro assembly than they have gotten from other stuff. So that's just the December news. And you can multiply that by 12 for what's been going on throughout the whole year. So I I don't know what people think. Firstly, I guess, do people think I'm right to pick this out as one of the big things of 2022 i i think so very much so but i mean we've all mentioned it and i think um it's been on the cards for a while like you say possibly before covid but covid certainly speeded it up i mean there was talk about places like obviously there's india there's vietnam there was a lot of talk about brazil um 
Apple obviously had that plant in Texas, which was supposed to be making sapphire crystals, but that all kind of fell apart. Um, but I, I just think Apple are definitely aware that relying on China alone is a um, somewhat dubious prospect. I mean, TSMC obviously are based in Taiwan, but they're building plants elsewhere in the world. Yeah, the Taiwan issue is is slightly China adjacent, slightly as in the fear is that yeah. China will wander in with some tanks. Um, yes, there's, you know that's another. But TSMC have been building plants all over the place, usually with huge amounts of cash from Apple. Um, Samsung, I believe, have secured more work from Apple for displays. Apple have confirmed that Sony are making a large number of their uh, camera chips. So I think they're definitely diversifying. And... um, we all know Tim's very good at his job. That's, you know, logistics and supply chains is his absolute forte. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's probably spent five or more years planning how he's going to be slightly less reliant on Pegatron and Boxcon. I don't want to be flippant, but um, war is uh, is 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 a, a good focus focuser of the mind, isn't it? Yes, and uh, it is. and wars in other parts of the world certainly <laughs> makes you think. Hmm, should we be trusting these people who who well, have different we... different opinions about uh, freedom than we do? <laughs> well, well, I, I think it just comes down to should we put all our eggs in one basket? Never well, a good and, plan. Yes, and eggs in one basket, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we can remember back to before COVID, which takes a bit of effort. Um, the big reason things were getting a bit iffy then was trade war, right? There was uh, tariffs between the US and China, and that was a tit-for-tat where Chinese were putting tariffs on American goods and Americans were putting tariffs on Chinese goods. And already people were going, God, it's, it's a bit irresponsible to have so many eggs in that Chinese basket. And then COVID... And literally the collapse of supply chains, which made everyone go, oh, Jesus, not only is this basket a bit dodgy politically, this basket is actually unstable. And then the the invasion um, of Ukraine, just sort of, you know, dictators will do weird things. And she, the autocrat, is becoming ever more entrenched and ever less tethered to reality as fewer and fewer people anywhere near him dare say the two letter word no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then of course the, I'm sure you've already talked about this because we arrived after you talked about it. But then there's the zero COVID policy, which hasn't helped yeah. things at all. Well, and the unwinding of the zero COVID policy also hasn't helped things at all. So. <laughs> no. The one, the one thing I agree with you 100 percent, Bart, that this is probably one of the bigger stories. Uh, the one thing I think not a lot of people are talking about that we have to remember is we're just at the very front edge of this thing. Very, you know, they are moving manufacturing, they are moving a lot of the assembly to other places, but it's in very, very tiny amounts initially. Like the the factories here for making chips in Arizona, even though they're going to have two of them, it's like a couple percentage of the total chips that Apple needs that that place is going to be producing. So there's still a huge reliance on China. And the other thing that people forget is 
there's a huge reliance on China in all the other little bits and bobs that go in. So even if you move manufacturing mm. to India, even if you move manufacturing to wherever, Brazil or wherever they're moving manufacturing to, you're still reliant on getting screws and little tiny you know, supporting ships and transistors and like, there's still a, so it's, it's, it's great that they're doing that to diversification, but it's going to be a very long time before the dependencies go away. Right. Yeah. Oh, dependencies yeah. are yeah. still going to be there for decades. I agree with that, Adam, um, you know, that because the whole Schengen province thing, which is, you know, a huge industrial complex in its own right. Yeah, why is that, you know, why were they there in the first place? Because, you know, you can have screws made over there and metal frames stamped out over there and aluminium parts there and chips made there and all shipped in. So there is still going to be a long reliance. There's going to be a long tail on this. It's going to take a long time until you can say, I don't know, we're getting radio chips here and we're getting screens there and blah, 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 blah. It's not going to be fixed overnight, but I think that it's a big story because it's the first time in probably 10 years that we've seen them actually start to say, we can't continue to rely on China 100%. That's true, because if you, if you zoom right out, we went from, you know, everything was assembled in America to everything is assembled in China to now, maybe we need a bit of a hybrid. And I don't, I don't think it's conceivable for a world where China wouldn't be in the supply chain, but I, I don't know. I, I imagine a utopia would be a place where you'd have at least three suppliers for everything. Yeah. And then no one disaster could muck you up completely. But that's really hard and, to get to. I mean, I remember a time, but a long, long time ago, man, you may not have been a Mac user back in the day, but um, back in the classic Mac period, that you would get an awful lot of um, Mac kit, particularly keyboards and mice and things, which were, would say, assembled in, uh, you know, in Ireland. Uh, yes, down in Cork. Uh, we used to build iMacs and stuff down in Cork. And yeah, exactly. Dell, Dell used to build a whole bunch of their machines in Ireland. Um, and um, digital equipment going bust caused massive unemployment in Ireland. That was in Galway. We had huge digital equipment manufacturing. Yeah, I mean, at one point, you know, there were a lot of assembly plants for high-tech or high-tech of the time in Ireland. Um, no the doubt other th- the rules, but, you know, whatever. The, the other thing I think that we have to bear in mind in this conversation is that it's actually very... To be able to build stuff is an amazing skill. And I, I'm pretty sure it was Tim Cook who said in interviews that even if we... Even if cost wasn't an issue, you couldn't move assembly to another place just on a drop of a hat because the skills needed do not exist. Shenzhen has become a concentration of skills that are only slowly starting to, to, to be learned elsewhere. Yes, exactly. Yep. I, I think Tim Cook's, if I recall, his original comment was, even if you left cost out of the issue, we could not assemble enough skilled people in the US. Yeah, you couldn't get people yeah. on the floor to do the work, yeah. We just Yeah, yeah. you're right. That we, was that was the phrasing. It's something like even if you left money out of it, the people don't exist here. Yeah, we don't it would take us ten years to train enough people to fill the slots. Yeah. The US completely let go of all of its manufacturing a kind of education. People don't 
that you go to college, you don't study that stuff. It, it, it's right. When manufacturing left the United States, it became completely deprioritized. So we don't have apprenticeships. We don't have people trained into those kinds of positions because they just don't exist. I mean, it, it, it makes sense economically and socially based on what was happening in the country. But all of that went away. And it's been gone for a long, long time. And that's not to say we don't have skilled workers like auto workers and, you know, a bunch of workers in places. But the percentage of those people is so small that if you brought all that manufacturing right back, you'd, you'd be swamped. You'd, you wouldn't have those people. And there's not people you to know, train I, them. There's not people to manage them. So it's logistically also, a nightmare. I'm not even sure there's people to teach them because – in Shenzhen, you have built up a whole infrastructure to, of, of knowledge and training, which isn't being freely shared because that's the secret sauce. That's what makes Shenzhen Shenzhen. They're not keen to share that knowledge around with anyone else. So why would you want to give that away? You know, right? Why, what, you know, exactly. And, and like with Adam, it, 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 to some extent, it's the same here in uh, the UK. I mean, my uh, my nephew has got an apprenticeship to do marine engineering. And he considers himself incredibly lucky to have got that because the number of positions doing that are very small because the number of jobs in that sector is now relatively small. So there's no point going to college for three years to learn how to be a high-skilled machinist if there's no job for you afterwards. That would just be a complete waste of time. Mm. Bit of a chicken and egg. So how do you get it to the stage where you have enough people trained to start bringing more of the jobs back to get enough people to want to do the jobs? It's not easy to build that up. These, these, These things, you know, they can be very easily destroyed through political um changes and can take 20 30 years to get back yeah well look at the, look at the nhs in the uk at the moment <laughs> having exactly the yeah. same sort of problems we've yeah. dri- driven out an awful lot of people and now oh dear we haven't got enough people to run it yeah yeah i mean nasa is another one um i remember an interview with a guy at nasa when they were talking about going back to the moon and he said <laughs> We have lost so much knowledge. All the people who worked on Apollo, yeah, their knowledge might be considered low-tech by modern standards, but they're all dead or retired, and nobody was trained to follow them. So now we've got to learn everything from scratch again. Yeah, probably as big of a job. Yeah, you're right. It's as big of a challenge to do it again as it was to do it the first time because all the knowledge has evaporated. Yeah, you know, been lost. Okay, folks, I'm going to move us on to main story number two. Apple have announced three really substantial security changes. So I'm going to put my work hat on here for a moment because this is very much in my bailiwick here. So the first thing to say is the three things Apple have announced. So the the first of them is something called contact key verification. And in some regards, this is one of the most cool features, but it's going to be it's going to be misunderstood and not needed by a lot of people. So to have end-to-end encryption, you need to have a management of the encryption keys. And for that to work, either the user has to do a lot of faffing about or the user has to trust someone else to do the work. And what contact key verification gives you is a halfway house between those two extremes where Apple can automate the work, but the users have the ability to verify the keys. 
So it's trust but verify. So no extra work on the user. And for those people who need the trust, so if you're a journalist trying to work with sources or something, this will remove the current veil of opacity over the key management and let you watch the keys and verify the keys without having to do all of the faffing about of exchanging keys, which, trust me, is an awful lot of faffing about. So, yes, it is. I've, d- I've done it in the past. Uh, you know, I've played with it, and it is a massive pain up the backside. Exactly. So I really like this approach. And if anyone's thinking, I, that sounds vaguely familiar. If you're a user of Signal, that is exactly the approach Signal takes. Signal manage the keys for you, but show you the management, and you can verify the keys using the Signal app. Well, this same functionality will be coming to iMessage in, quote, in 2023. So not early, not late, in 2023. So... My guess, and cool. it is purely a guess, is WWDC. Um, I would see. expect so, yeah. Because that that's would an OS sense. update, right? That That's not a little feature. <laughs> that's, no. that's a major okay. one. Um, easier to describe. If you have a hardware token, you can use that for two-factor authentication on iCloud. In fact, you can require that your iCloud only have two uh, physical tokens available for two-factor authentication if you're a high-value target. That is coming in, quote, early 2023, and we know this because it is already available in iOS 16.3 beta and macOS Ventura 13.2 beta. Again, very straightforward, physical, YubiKey kind of a key, use it with iCloud. Nothing too onerous there. And then the really big one is end-to-end encryption on almost all iCloud data. Basically, it's everything but the group where like mail contacts and calendars because mail contacts and calendars rely on legacy protocols that really predate the concept of security or privacy in any way, shape or form. And so to have interactivity with clients, you know, if you want to use a third-party mail client or whatever, then you have to use IMAP and SMTP and so forth. And they're not end-to-end encryption capable. So therefore, they're not included. But everything else would be end-to-end encrypted. And this is already in beta for users in the US, and it is rolling out to the rest of the world, quote, starting in early 2023. Um, and this is, this is a real... So the upside of this is amazing privacy. If you enable this, then you have privacy, you know... The stuff is encrypted with a key in your secure enclave on your iOS devices, sent up to the cloud pre-encrypted, and Apple are physically incapable of looking into that blob, which means that they cannot be compelled to hand it over. They cannot lose it in a LastPass-like debacle. You know, it it is safe. The thing is, if you lock yourself out, you are completely and utterly unhelpable. So... You are giving up the ability to phone Apple for help in exchange for a really major bump in security. And personally, I would say this is one where advice to friends and family would be very different to advice to CEOs and journalists. I would say for now, leave it to the high risk people to test these waters and look for the bugs and run into the problems and iron out all the kinks. And then, you know, your friends and family and the people you support can come a lot later and depending on how you're feeling about experimenting personally i'm not doing this yet and i'm not in the u.s so i kind of don't i wouldn't be able to but i would yeah. say only do this now if you're very keen on being a guinea pig i don't know how you I'm feel so- I'm you sorry, have the choice for real. we can't we, i'm sorry mr president we can't get you back into your iphone it doesn't matter how much you want it 
<laughs> well, right, so conceivable. Cu- cu- wait, couple couple things on this because I actually I actually tried this one. Ooh. Um, it will tell you the devices you you need to have every device that you have connected to your iCloud has to be able to support this feature, which means it has to be on the latest iOS. Right. It has to be able to run the latest iOS and it has to be, be, be able to run the latest Mac OS. So I tried to enable this and I have a couple of computers that are older ones, uh, including a Mac mini <laughs> that I run. It's <laughs> still running Leopard, but it's not connected to the internet. So that was fine. I could just not deal with iCloud on it. Um, because it was mostly for convenience, but just something to be aware of. You do need to have all every device, and it will tell you, because Apple knows which devices you have connected to iCloud, it'll say, hey, this one and this one, you either need to remove from iCloud or you can't use the feature. The other thing is, on the key, one way they handle that part is you are allowed to designate a trusted person personally. So like, to share your key with, and that person can be your emergency recovery contact. So I can share that with my wife, and I presume it would go in the secure enclave on her devices. And then if I get in trouble and I lock myself out, I can go, hey, Kelly, my wife, can uh, can you get me back into my account? Because I, I forgot my creds. So they do have this feature where you can set up a personal trusted person, could be a friend or a family member, that uh, that's how I guess that's how they're handling that part of it. I, so I you're presume not, that's uh, the legacy contact feature they released last year. That that because I enabled that when it was released, which is fantastic. Yeah, they they're they're marketing it different, so I don't know if it is exactly the same or not. Oh, um, interesting. So it, this sounds like it's it's basically you can now designate a person to take on the role that the iCloud people used to take on when they had your key. You know, when you could say, yes, let them let Apple have my keys so they can help me out when I get hosed. Yeah. I think this is the same thing, but instead of getting it, giving it to Apple, you give it to someone you designate and you say, yes, I trust this person. They can have my, my key. And again, I'm presuming it's stored at the hardware level on their devices, but that's just my assumption. Well, well, Apple have done a very good job of laying the foundations for this because their 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 keychain syncing and so forth, the end to end encryption that has been tested and rock solid. So they've done a lot of work to get to the point where they can flip this switch. the The other thing that comes with this switch, the other deep question that comes with this switch, is that if you encrypt end to end, you cannot scan for unwanted content in the cloud. You cannot proactively scan iCloud photos for child abuse imagery if you have end-to-end encryption. It is impossible. So Apple have abandoned, officially, uh, their very controversial plan to scan for CSAM as... So Apple had announced a plan last year to scan as, as the images were leaving your phone. So at the point in time when your phone said, I will send these to iCloud, your phone would then scan them against fingerprints and then actually send them to iCloud. So it was in the iCloud pipe, but it was before it left the phone, which made people very cranky that the scanning was happening on your phone. And although child protection agencies were lauding Apple's cleverness, people got very, very upset and Apple officially paused the plan where they have now, in, they didn't make a press release about it, but they did say it in interviews, they have officially abandoned that plan. And they're focusing on preventing the creation of CSAM rather than preventing the distribution of CSAM, which is a very fluffy thing to say. And they didn't give us any specifics whatsoever. 
And the other thing, of course, is that you can't, if you can't scan for child abuse imagery, you also can't scan for terrorist bomb making stuff. So the FBI are also deeply concerned about these new security protections. And that is, that is just a fundamental trade off because if you don't have yeah. full security, you are very vulnerable to criminals, evil governments. And if you do have it, then you can't proactively scan for scumbags. So that is the existential question of our time. Uh, well, I think we've said before, that security is a little bit like a race, isn't it? Uh, uh, and we never end the race. It's just ongoing. <laughs> Thank goodness, or I'd be out of a job. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've always said to Nick that the, the security race is the same as the medieval arms race, right? People invented chainmail. People invented weapons that were good at getting through chainmail. People then invented plate mail. People then came up with weapons that are good at cleaving through metal armour and so on and so forth. And so it goes on ever. People invented tanks. People invented ways to penetrate tanks with artillery shells. It it never stops. And security is exactly the same. People come up with ways to stop bad guys getting at your info. Then bad guys come up with clever ways to break into your, you know. Um, Encryption is great. The, the the weapon that will become more used is the you know is your Pegasus type attack where you've hit the nail on the head phone. you've absolutely hit the you nail know, on the head because where, that's the point I wanted it gets to into make your device to to crack your keys before the stuff's encrypted exactly if it's end to end encrypted then you attack it on the end yeah <laughs> yeah yes at the start you att- you attack it yeah. before it's encrypted and so on you know yeah, and, this, and this stuff just go on forever. Like, the dark web is end-to-end encrypted, and yet we have had successful arrests of dark web crime rings of all sorts, all sorts of horrific crimes on the dark web. The FBI and others have been able to wrap them up because you don't have to break the encryption if you get, your, if you get the evidence before encryption. If you're on either end of an end-to-end encryption, it doesn't matter that it's perfectly encrypted in between, because you're not in between. You're on one of the two ends. Exactly. Well, you're on the front end. So that's... The, but it doesn't matter which end, right? It doesn't actually matter, right? If you're doing end-to-end encryption between you and someone else, it doesn't matter which end is compromised. The encryption only happens between the ends. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah. That is true. Um, and if you want to speak to somebody about who knows a lot more about that than me, yeah, then invite uh, at Dougie, a.k.a. Andy J, on, because he is a, a forensic digital geezer and that's he that's works for the canadian, he works for the canadian uh government and his job is to break into people's you know criminals iphones and find out what nasty stuff they've been up to sounds right and he like can fun. tell you exa- and he can tell you exactly what things like gray key can and cannot do yeah any other thoughts on these announcements um I've somewhat hugged the spotlight on this, but I do sort of no, feel it's, it's I, my baby. This is exciting. It, it's a great step forward, I think, in terms of getting here. So I'm I'm glad it's an option for people. Yeah, yeah. and I think I, I'm totally glad it's an option. But like Bart, I think for you know average users like me and you and Nick and probably most of our listeners, I wouldn't bother with it until such time as it's been proven to be 100% safe because 
one of the reasons Apple have avoided it, as far as I can tell in the past, is because the number of people who ring up and go, I've locked myself out of my account. Please help me. It's um, is it is it um oh, it's Rennie Ritchie has a big thing on this that different people have a different balance between what is the most likely thing to cause you grief? Is it someone breaking into your data or is it you getting locked out of your data? And depending on where you fall, where your specific exactly. risk profile is, you should make a very different decision about this kind of stuff. Uh, as Andy would say, it's uh, all about your personal threat landscape. Yeah, if you're a CEO yeah. of somebody who makes secret radio equipment for the US government, your threat landscape is a hell of a lot different to a guy who stacks shelves in Walmart. You know what I mean? It's Yeah, that's it. That is it exactly. You know, you should tailor your security to your actual situation. And I mean, Apple's advanced features are becoming like this. Um, I'm trying to remember the name they gave the is it lockdown mode where you can basically have your phone lose oh, a yeah, whole bunch of features in exchange for more security? And that is entirely aimed at people who are CEOs, who are traveling to China, you know, people in a very different situation to you or I. Yeah, that's the sort of, you know, I'm a journalist in contact with, you know, activists in China or, I don't know, Myanmar or wherever, where, you know, people's lives are possibly at risk. But if yeah, you turn it's... this feature on, like you will lose a huge amount of functionality. It's not for you and me. Exactly. All right, folks, I'm going to move us on to main story number three. We get some new OS features because it's the middle of the year. Um, three, I think. Uh, there is karaoke-like functionality that has come to our Apple devices. We have a whole new cross-platform app. And we have more or advanced or continued external display support for iPad OS. Might actually take these. Actually, no, we'll go in the show order the show notes. So if you are the kind of person who likes karaoke and if you have a modern iOS device, when you enable the feature for lyrics, you will find that if the song is supported, you now have a, a little icon that looks like a microphone with spangly stars and if you click on the microphone with spangly stars you get a volume slider which controls the level of the um the voice component of the song but leaves the rest intact so if you want to go full-on karaoke you can slide that slider down to zero and then they'll just hear you or if you might just want to sing along but get a bit of help from the original artist you can put the slider somewhere in the middle and i'm sure for people who a can sing and b enjoy singing this is going to be fantastic fun i couldn't care less (laughs) <laughs> well, I, well I can sing but I'm not sure I'm ever going to make use of this feature <laughs> well you never know you never know Nick you know um, I mean if they launch classical and you want to um, oh well, uh, yeah who knows ooh, I can sing along with an aria. yeah maybe yeah yeah you know if they launch classical and um, I don't know there's a whatever you know one of Bach's choral pieces or something you want to sing along to you can learn it by singing along and it just um whatever i think maybe it, so it's, maybe so it could be a great deal of fun for people who are into it and like but no i can't hold a note so it's no use to me whatsoever 
biggest debate that we've had around this feature, and it is a really cool feature, it's fun, but um, biggest debate we've had on on my show is how are they doing it technically and what is <laughs> what is happening behind the scenes? Because a couple things about it is one, Dolby Atmos is turned off when you enable the feature. So it puts it back to stereo, which kind of makes sense because doing this multi-channel surround probably is very difficult. Um, I maintain that I think they're using the that they're using AI and machine learning to actually do it in real time, but that's very, very technically difficult. Um, so some people in my audience feel like they're actually producing an extra track that's already pre-done and then streamed. But I still fall in, the, in line that I think it's I think it's AI and machine learning because of the, the requirements. Like you have to have a, a Apple TV 4K third generation. So it seems to be A13 Bionic and later is required. I think that's the cutoff. So right. I don't know. Which all have a lot of... It's hard though, isn't it? I mean, removing audio of any sort is hard. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not as straightforward as normally of, as, of having a slider and just sliding something and then suddenly, oh, look, the audio tracks have disappeared. Um, yeah, unless you <laughs> unless you have the originals that were being used to master, in which case it's easy because that's what mastering is. But of course, you don't have those. Yeah. The other thing, though, is it's yeah. a, it's, a, it's enabled per track, which implies to me that there is something happening on the server side first. So it seems as if maybe there's some sort of metadata being collected by probably machine learning on the server side, and then. There's there's definitely still work being done on the client side because otherwise they wouldn't you wouldn't have a requirement for a powerful chip right why would you lock anyone yeah. out so it, it seems to me That's like it's a game theory. of two halves as you say if you've got the original tracks then I mean presumably you could either leave one out uh, oh I'll, I'll, I suppose as long as they're split um, you could all actually play the opposite of that so that it would actually cancel it out. <laughs> Who knows? I guess if, if you could break the end-to-end encryption, you could have a look and see what's actually coming streaming down from Apple. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting that, that an Apple engineer and nobody from the team has come out in an interview and actually I, I, I need to see this question answered. I'm very curious to hear from, you know, Air Force One or something, how they're doing yeah. this. That's cool. Yeah. I do know there's a tool and I think it might be part of the Pro Tools suite where... Um, this is not anywhere near as clever as that, but there is a tool, and I think it's part of Pro Tools Audio, where if you've got a recording and say, you know, an ambulance goes screaming past with a siren while you're recording a live, or not live, but while you're recording, say, a, a news piece, you can go into there and you can sample it and you can say, okay, we'll just turn down that siren so it doesn't blot out the rest of the audio. I don't know how they do that, but that's amazingly clever. And a guy demonstrated that to me a couple of years ago. But I wish I had it in front of me. There's there's an $800 plugin that's been around for a long, long time for like Adobe Audition and uh, Apple's um, Logic Pro that will do this vocal thing. Uh, one of my listeners sent me the information about it. And he said, yeah, I already have this tool. It does it. He says, but it took four minutes on my Mac Studio Ultra with you yeah. know for a five minute track so i took that the wrong. vocals out of a five minute track it took four minutes to process on that machine so i'm like if apple's doing it in real time they're doing some really impressive stuff because that's really impressive yeah. there's some sort of magic sauce and that's the kind of thing that 
Well, I guess it's a major advantage and they don't want to tell us, but I'd, I would love to see an interview where one of the engineers brags about how it works. I'd, I'd be very curious. The computer scientist in me is very curious. The second new app we get to play with is called Freeform, and it's a cross-platform app for iOS and the Mac, which is basically an infinity canvas that you can put things on. You can throw in a picture, throw in some text, do a bit of doodling with your pencil. It's it's a synchronized blank page that lots of people can contribute to. I guess you could call it an electronic whiteboard, lots of different names for it, but it's basically a freeform creation app designed for sharing and designed to be cross-platform. I haven't yet you know, this is a what, reason, but it looks cool. This is one of those this is one of those things that really appeals to me, but I've no idea why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a little I, bit like I, stationary. Everyone loves stationary, but we don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of looked at it and went, this looks really cool, but I don't see any absolute, I cannot find any use for it whatsoever. But I suspect, and I, I don't know what Adam or you might think about this, Bart, but I suspect it's built heavily upon upon some of the technologies they added to Notes. I would think so. And I I think where it's going to come in is, personally, I think that I'm going to break it out the next time I have a creative project, because when you're at the stage where you're trying to just get ideas down and then try to put order on them, what you really need is a way to just capture anything anywhere. And then when you have it down, start to rearrange it and put some sense onto it. And that's actually very difficult to do in most computer tools. Computers are terrible for that kind of freeform thinking. And which is why I have sheets and sheets of, I used to have sheets and sheets of paper. Now I have um, tiny little portable whiteboards that are not mm. white. This one's green. And I just have them everywhere. And I doodle on things with whiteboard markers. But I think it's probably much better if I could doodle on things with my Apple Pencil and actually have them survive and synchronize. And if I pick up an idea somewhere else, I can continue where I left off. So I think the next time I, I have a creative s- project to start, I will use it. But I just haven't, it just yeah. hasn't happened yet. I, I, I can see it being really useful to create small group, small creative groups. Um, yeah, uh, you know who who are literally working on something together, but remotely. Mm. Um, I can see it being really useful for that. Um, uh, my experience of of doing anything creative is once you get too many people, it just gets impossible. <laughs> there is uh, a magic number people... somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Another one of these apps that Apple develops that I'll never get to use because it would be perfect for my work environment, but we use other tools and my IT department's never going to support it. So like I could whip it out and say, Hey, we should use this, but no one's going to, no one's going to do it with me. And this feels very much like an app that came out of COVID at Apple. So the people who are using this is probably all the people at Apple who are working remotely since a couple years ago. So this is an in-house tool that was built for them and then are like, hey, we should release this as a product. We might as well release this. Yeah, we've built it this far. Why not just give it to everybody? Yeah, I think if you're you're in a creative industry that's already quite Apple-centric, this probably makes a lot of sense. Yes. I could see a lot of people who you know yeah like you say in the creative industries and they are probably now working at least hybrid or you know partly remote i could see this being a good tool for people who are like musicians uh groups of engineers or designers you know they can all put their thoughts on there and rearrange stuff and 
basically brainstorm and then somebody's going to go right we we just drag that bit over there and put that over there no well wow you know eureka we have the solution i think that's the come on you you youtube creators we want we want we want videos to show us how you're going to use this (laughs) that is true but to, to me, the interesting thing is sharing with myself. It's like a magic piece of paper that's always there on every device. Yeah. We well, yeah. could always kind of do that already with notes, but this is more freeform and more infinite, isn't it? So... Yeah, that's the thing. Notes is very constraining. I've always yes. felt hemmed in, and this feels like um, I won't feel hemmed in. Well, I think that's the point. I suspect somebody said, you know, cooperative notes is fine, but we need something bigger and more open. And, you know, if we want to we want to extend over here to the left and run a whole side thought, you can just do it, you know. Yeah. The problem is I can never, find, any, never find anybody to play with me. This is the same as collaborative stuff in pages, keynotes, and numbers. Like, I would love to use it, but... You know, my office uses Office and Microsoft, so you don't uh, get, why, you, don't, you know, like. Why do you need other people, Adam? Like, if you have an idea for something you're working on yourself, why can't you just doodle away to your heart's content? No, I like I like your idea. I didn't think about using it in the ap- application until you brought it up. But, it, you know, I, I have other notes tools that I've used for that sort of thing. But, yeah, this might be worth a, a try to see if it offers more. I've used other tools. I have yet to find one I don't. At best, tolerate. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And then the third feature for people who are really big into their iPads is that iPad OS has gotten even more external display support. So you can now do stage manager on your external displays. That is going to make a small number of people very, very happy. I am not in that set. Uh, I don't know. Is anyone here an iPad external screen person? No, no, <laughs> I don't even have an iPad to be honest. I, I, I may do with my phone, or if I need something bigger than that, I jump to my laptop. And um... yeah, my twelve point nine inch iPad is a music device, so it's for having my sheet music on. It's an infant- very I'll useful. Try- yes, I try to use Stage Manager, and mostly I find I just put it in full screen mode anyway. So it's just like. Yeah, I, I'm one of those weird people who kind of yeah. like the current multitasking because my biggest use for my iPad Pro is in the kitchen. And so I have a permanent two app set up where I have my multi-timer taking up one third of the screen on the right. And I have Paprika taking up two thirds of the screen in the middle. And that is how that is how dinner gets made in this house. <laughs> yeah, you don't need a new a new window manager for that. You, the old one worked fine. Yeah, that's kind of my point is like, I haven't found any new use that stage manager is solving for me that, you know, it's, it's yeah, a solution my, looking my for a problem. My frustrations I, have been that the apps that I do use don't all support multitasking anyway. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think it gets I, us I, closer I, to a world where it is realistic for non techie types to not have a laptop. For... Yes, yes, I, I think that's probably part of it, and I also think Apple created it simply to damp down some of those people who constantly whine that oh, I, you know, the the iPad isn't Mac like enough, um, and those people will really, really love it, and the rest of us will just ignore it. They won't love it; they'll complain constantly and continuously. 
Yeah, but, but Apple have Apple yep. have are quite happy to do this, aren't they? I mean, let's face it, they, everyone wanted a touch street, a touch screen map, and what they gave us was the little strip along the top of the um, the Mac Pro, uh, and and everyone wants it's exactly the same sort of thing. Every everyone everyone wants uh, full multitasking as if it were the Mac, um, and what they've given us isn't actually that either. Um, so. It's. Um, I mean, I'm not. I'm with you, but I'm not. I'm not someone who wants my Mac on my iPad. I want. I want I them to be two yeah. separate devices. No. no. But I, no. I can see I, a world. I, like I, I see us heading towards a world where we all have these people in our family. We are their IT support, and because they need just a few more advanced things, they're not happy to use a tablet as their only computer. So therefore, you are left with software updates to worry about and virus scanners and all of this faffing about to worry about and supporting your family. I think we're yeah. getting close with iPadOS now to where you can actually say with good conscience to family members you support, maybe next time, don't buy a computer computer, buy an iPad. You can stick it on uh, this amazing yeah. keyboard dock. You can shove it onto your external display. It'll do multitasking, but you're not going to be bombarded with viruses and pop-ups and all of this chicanery. We're getting there. We haven't arrived yet, but we're getting there. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the argument is always, uh, I have enough trouble using the computer. I don't want another device. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so when the computer breaks is the point you step in. You go, right, now don't spend all of that money on one of those. Buy one of these instead. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. true. That is true. And, um, no, I think, I think Apple are working very hard at trying to, you know, they work very hard to try and please the largest number of people the most amount of the time. And Which very occasionally, which you can't, no, but occasionally, you know, there'll be a vocal minority who say we want X and they will go away and see, like, what is the most user-friendly method we can do to please those people as much as possible? without scaring, you know, Joe Average user off by showing him something that looks really scary and horrible. The the other angle to all of this is underlying it all. The Mac started life as a completely open operating system with no security features, and they have been layering security on quite well, but it's layering security on, whereas iOS started life as a 100% locked down operating system where you couldn't even do multitasking. And they are now layering features on while still maintaining the security. So if we can get to a stage where your average user can do everything they need to do on iOS and Apple have not had to compromise on the security first approach, you have ended up with a way more robust computing device. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, right. I I must admit, talking about layering security on, I purchased a new macbook m2 air right and obviously uh, yes very nice treated myself because i had some money so even though i had an m1 macbook air that's only just about two years old and i wouldn't normally do such a thing but you know i had cash in the bank so i'll treat myself um hopefully someone to hand down the m1 to because that's still a very good machine yes i do yes i do and um what's um I needed to do, even though I'd done um, 
a, a, you know, a full migration and it all seemed to be fine, was it said, you need to step down the security level, no, the OS security level from maximum to reduced in order to allow the use of um, system extensions because obviously podcasting stuff uses extension. So I thought, well, I know how to do that. So I think it depends on your tooling. But anyway, yes. Yeah, well, you only have to do it the one time. And I didn't have much trouble doing it on the M1. But on the M2, I booted it into the, uh, you know, the the options mode and went into the, yes, I need to look at the options. And it took an hour for it to decide to show me the options. (laughs) Now, on... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I had to leave it for an hour. I, I mean, the first time I thought, oh, it's stuck, and I rebooted it. The second time I thought, no, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to go away, have a cup of tea, make some toast, whatever. Come back, look at it. It's still whirling around. It's like, I'm just going to leave it. Eventually it got there, and I went, yes, reduced security, please. Thank you, and rebooted it, and it's all good. But why it took so long, I have no idea, but there you go. It's a security feature. Everyone at Apple is having to check it before they'll allow you to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to jump yeah. us on to our fourth and final main story, which is pretty big changes in the under the hood stuff of the app store, specifically how developers decide how much money we have to give them. So it's the app store has always been a very thin veneer on top of the old iTunes brain. And so they sold apps as if they were music tracks, and that has hampered the App Store quite a bit over its lifetime. And one of the ways it hampered it was very, very limited amount of price points that developers were allowed to choose, which it sort of becomes almost a regulatory issue where one of the complaints you see coming up in places like France and stuff is that developers are saying, but we, can't, we are not in control of our own pricing. We have to fit ourselves into these very rigid models. And the other thing, the other major point is that all App Store pricing up until now has actually been effectively in US dollars. Even when you buy in euros or pounds, it's effectively in US dollars because as the exchange rate with the dollar changes, Apple unilaterally changed the price of the apps in the UK and Europe without the developers having any say whatsoever. So effectively, the whole world pays in dollars on on the App Stores. That is now changing both of those things. So there are way more price points. Effectively, every realistic price point is now available. The minimum has gone all the way down to 29 cent and the maximum has gone all the way up to $10,000. Now you do need special permission to go to $10,000, but you can go to $10,000. And probably, I think most importantly, developers are suggested different price points in different regions to map their chosen price point in their primary currency, but they can choose for themselves which price points to use in the different currencies. And therefore, when there are movements in exchange rates, the developers can choose whether or not they want the customer to swallow the cost or whether they as a company would like to swallow the cost. So as the pound and the dollar move about, do we want to start having weird prices in the UK or do we decide as a company that actually it'll it'll hit our margin a little bit, but let's actually keep it at 9.99. That's way better than going up to 10.25 or something. And so this could actually get Apple out of a lot of hassle with uh, regulators. And I think for developers, this gives them way more control than I think a lot of the coverage has implied. I think that the, the... the regional stuff is a big deal, in my opinion. 
Mm. Yeah, that sounds well. It just sounds a sensible thing to do, and it's a shame it's taken Apple so long to <laughs> to get it done. I think giving yeah. people control over their own pricing is. And I think I think I read it should have been done already. Yes, it should have been done already. But I think I read the like the increments are something like ten cents up to about twenty dollars, and then fifty cents up to like a hundred dollars, and then a dollar up to five hundred dollars, and then ten dollars upwards, and so on. Yes, the Apple have a table because there are now so many price points. They have a table explaining the the rules. So. <clears throat> between these price ranges, you can go in steps of X amount, and between these price ranges, you go in steps of Y amount. And the end result... Oh, the other thing they've also given... So you have those steps, right, that you've described, but you also then get to choose an ending. So you can say, we're going up in, do- in steps of $5, and I like everything to end in 99 Well, that's considered to be the $20 price point with the 99 ending. So actually, one of those price points is really three price points, because you can have 99 you can have 00, or 95 So... It, like the permutations just explode. <laughs> I, I think I read there are now ten thousand price points. I don't remember. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it's, yes. a lot it's a huge amount because you know, as you say, you can go twenty nine cents or thirty cents. You can go ninety five cents or ninety nine cents or a dollar, and and so on. So it's a. Uh, and I think it's a good thing, and it's about time it happened, and it probably should have happened years ago. The biggest thing mm. to me is the regional stuff, because we have talked many times where we've had stories on the show where I have said, and everyone in Europe is now paying more for all apps, because Apple yeah. would simply say, we are adjusting the exchange rate, therefore everything that was 99 cent is now 79 euro cent. And developers hate that, because they're now being forced to put a price rise on their customers, and they have no control over when it happens. That's that's got to be <laughs> so frustrating. Yeah. And yes. now, you know, they're allowed to adjust their pricing themselves. As you say, you know, they can hold it at a price point because it's, you know, a psychological price point, you know, nine, 9.99 or 10, rather than being forced to be 10.29 or some other weird number that psychologically people don't like, you know. Adam, you're involved in programming and stuff. Do you have much experience with the App Store directly? No, I've never, I've never actually built an app. But uh, you know, I'm with the rest of the panel here. It's just it's a good move on Apple's part. It probably should have happened a long time ago. And I agree with you, Bart. I think the bigger part of this story is definitely the international pricing stuff. I think that has more of an impact than you know extra price points. But again, extra price points are just nice because it gives you a lot more flexibility, and everybody likes flexibility when you know, running their business, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I I also think, you're right, Bart, that it's probably going to dig them out of a hole in a lot of places like South Korea and, um, you know, possibly France and Germany and maybe even the UK where regulatory bodies are saying, you know, you have too much control. And so releasing some of that control is not going to do them any harm. And it's not a yeah. – they're not giving up control in, you know, in a bad way. They're not giving up control over security. They're not giving up control over user experience. What they're giving is the developers control over how they sell their apps. 
it's an easy win for them that doesn't cost them anything in terms of the business model. It doesn't cost them anything in terms of, you know, creating new problems for themselves. And it at the very least makes them a little bit less evil looking in the eyes of regulators. So yeah, it's a win-win. It's yeah. a win-win all round. Yeah. All right, folks, I'm going to draw a line under the main stories there. Just going to round out the show with a few quick stories that are worthy of a mention, but not really big enough to make them into a main story. Um, I think probably the biggest of the stories that nearly made it to be a main story is uh, Apple's Matter support has run into a wee bit of a roadblock. Uh, At the start of the month, we got news that iOS 16.2 was breaking people's HomeKit setup. And then we got news that Apple were stopping HomeKit updating its brains. Uh, So basically, with iOS 16.2, HomeKit would offer to upgrade to a new version of itself to to allow Matter. And then later in the month, they stopped doing that. And now we have found out through unofficial reports that matter, that this issue has actually been added to Apple's major issues list, which is usually reserved for like hardware stuff breaking. So this has now been rated inside the company as a really big deal. So I think for all of us who are waiting on matter, I think we have a little bit longer to wait, which is slightly annoying because I'm under constant pressure from my darling beloved to start putting in smart locks. And I'm like, no, until there's matter support. And then it's happens. <laughs> not until it works properly. Yeah, I just I, at this stage I do not want to go down the road of buying one piece of smart home kit that is not Matter, and then this is followed immediately by yeah, but Matter doesn't hear yet. You know how long is this excuse going to last? It's like I promise, it's nearly here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, Apple have also done some minor hardware releases. Uh, If you live in Finland, uh, Norway, Sweden or South Africa, a strange mix of countries, Scandinavia or South Africa, you can now buy a HomePod Mini. Um, If you live in Japan, you can have a special edition AirTag for the year of the rabbit. I don't think we've, I think that's a first. I do not think we've had special edition AirTags before. Um, much more traditional is that you can have special edition AirPods Pro if you live in the Chinese-speaking world uh, to celebrate the year of the rabbit. Uh, that would be China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and uh, Macau, or as China sees it, China, because they think so they own the, all uh, of those. Does the case have little little rabbit ears on it? <laughs> I, I, that would be really it cool. Should have. Yeah, that would be very cool, but I don't believe so. I think it's just an engraving, Um, but they do look pretty. Red, lots of red, which is the colour for good luck, I believe. Uh, The Apple Repair Programme also got some TLC this month. Uh, It, we were promised it would come to Europe. It has come to eight European countries, uh, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Poland, Spain, Sweden, and the UK, not Ireland. Uh, but you guys have it. Um, and that is just the original repair program. So for your iPhones and your silicon-based MacBooks. In the States, then, the program has stepped forward to also including uh, M-based Mac desktops, which I'm guessing that support will spread elsewhere, too. So the program has continued to expand slowly. And... 5G is coming to India sometime soon because it is already in the latest betas, which is a big deal. And then the other thing that is probably just worth mentioning is that Apple have released their annual report on their charitable work and seems to be kind of a a big deal this year. Uh, Since they started the employee giving program, they have raised nearly a billion dollars and helped 44,000 different organizations around the world. 
They have 76,000 employees who have logged 2.1 million volunteer hours. Now, I knew that Apple matched the donations. So Apple have matched that nearly a billion dollars. What I didn't know is that they also matched the hours that their their staff volunteer. So for every one of those 2.1 million volunteer hours, Apple have actually paid towards a charity to match that, which is kind of cool. And then, of course, the company also directly support a whole bunch of charities. And if you want to learn more, there is a link in the show notes to the full press release. Folks, thank you very much for helping me digest a, another large month's worth of Apple news. Um, I really appreciate your help with that. Um, before we do the outros, just to remind people that there will be show notes at lets-talk.ie. Basically links to all of the stories that have informed my thinking on this month's Apple News. Quite long show notes as I read them now. Uh, while you are there, you will notice big blue buttons called support the show. I really, really, really appreciate everyone who has supported the show. And uh, if you would like to support the show, please, you know, you can do so through Patreon or through PayPal or a few other affiliate programs as well. Um, I mentioned that on the last photography show, just to say that there is a gigantic big change to how I'm doing the podcast and it has actually no real effect. Um, so up until this point in time, I have officially done this podcast as something under Irish law called a sole trader, uh, which basically means I'm doing it as me, the person. And if I mess up and manage to get sued, me, the person is liable and they could literally take my house. As of the 1st of January, so yesterday, I am now podcasting as uh, Bartificer Creations Limited in LLC. So if I screw up and get sued, they can only take my podcasting stuff. So I, I guess my, my, my adorable um, Mac Studio would potentially be at risk, but not my house. So I am not changing how I do the show. I am not changing the fact that this is a break-even project. I am not changing the fact that I have no advertisers or sponsors because it's a purely listener-supported show. The only thing I've done is insulated my house from my podcast. Uh, But uh, on paper, everything has changed. In reality, nothing has changed. And again, thank you to everyone who has ever supported the show. And please continue to do so because without you, it wouldn't exist. Also, without whom it wouldn't exist, are the wonderful people who volunteer their time with me once a month to help me digest the news. So in no particular order, um, let me do our outro. So I guess since you guys came in last, we'll outro you first. Um, Nick, do you want to take the lead? Uh, Certainly. Um, Yeah. So uh, you can contact me on um, Essential Apple um, Slack. Um, I'm available through there. you can also contact me. You get all my contact details. Very sadly, um, you can get all my contact details now on the dark web, thanks to <laughs> South Staff's Water. That's very kind of them for giving all my information oh away. Um, uh, and that's about it, really. Cool. Um, Simon, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm still on Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Um, I'm in the Essential Apple Slack, which if you go to EssentialApple.com, you will find a link which will take you straight in there if you're interested, where you can find me and Nick and Nemo and various other people. And uh, hopefully, after a year of disruption and uh, various things going on 
we will be relaunching the Essential Apple on a regular basis starting next week. So uh, everybody who knows who we are, uh, yeah, we will be back starting next week. Would have been this week. Would have been starting. Uh, would have been recording yesterday, but I had a massive abscess on my uh, jaw, <laughs> and I looked like I looked like a Beano character with a base, you know, a baseball ball jammed in my cheek. So um, that was very unpleasant. So I uh, I cancelled yesterday's recording, but the the penicillin is doing its job, and my jaw is now back down to somewhere near normal size, and I am no longer in excruciating agony. So uh, hopefully next week the podcast will be. Coming back in, uh, you know, all its glory. Well, so, best of luck with the, uh, with the relaunch. Oh, delighted to. Best of luck with the relaunch and relieved that modern medicine still does its thing. That does not sound like fun. Yes, <laughs> not as much as relieved as I am, but I can assure Fair. you. <laughs> Fair. Um, and just in case there's someone listening who hasn't heard of Adam Christensen before, Adam, where do you hang out on the internet? Well, first, congratulations on the relaunch. That's great. Um, I hang out on the internet over at maccast.com. I do a podcast called The Maccast, which you can find on your favorite podcast app. And uh, I'm on social media as pretty much Maccast, any place you want to look. So, Are you officially the longest running Mac podcast yet? Uh, I believe so. I, I mean... As far as I know, I was the first official, what I call official Mac podcast, because I started in the days when people were still streaming on real audio. So, oh, I remember that. <laughs> but yeah, I've been around that long. You Excellent. must have been 10. <laughs> 2000 and, the show launched in, in December of 2004. Wow. Oh, we're coming up to a big anniversary soon. That'll be fun. Just went through one. Excellent. All right, folks, uh, I've been your host, Bart Bruchatz. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next month, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello everybody, this is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, the show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network.